Every Orthodox Christian is placed between two worlds. This fallen world, where we try to work out our salvation, and the other world, heaven, the homeland towards which we are striving, and which, if we are leading a true Christian life, gives us the inspiration to live from day to day in Christian virtue and love. But the world is too much with us. We often, in fact, nowadays, usually, we forget the heavenly world. The pressure of worldliness is so strong today, whether we look at the Soviet Union, where it is enforced by the government, or to the free world, where we voluntarily go on this way, that we often lose track of what our life as Christians is all about. Even if we may be going to church frequently, even if we may consider ourselves to be active church members, how often our being in church, our churchliness, is only something external, bound up with beautiful services, with the whole richness of our Orthodox tradition, but lacking in something much more fundamental. The deep conviction in our hearts that Orthodoxy is the faith that can save our souls for eternity. Often in the midst of outward splendor, we are lacking in real love for and commitment to Christ, who is the incarnate God and the founder of our faith. And often for us, church becomes just a matter of habit, something we go through outwardly, which does not change us inwardly, does not make us grow spiritually and lead us to eternal life in God, which is the whole purpose of our existence. Keeping this in mind, we can see that we are living in those times which our Lord Jesus Christ warned us about in the gospel, and he said, the love of many shall grow cold. These are the latter times when the Christian gospel, which was received with such fervor by the first Christians, has become only one small part of our worldly life, instead of the center and the meaning of our life, which is what it would be if we realized what our faith is. Orthodox Christianity, as a burning faith, which we are not ashamed to confess, and to have as the most precious thing in our life, is to a great extent in a state of decline and retreat in the world today. But quite ironically, and quite providentially, as orthodoxy and Christianity have seemed to retreat, on the other hand, Russia, or rather the Soviet Union, the atheist regime which has ensnared the Russian land, has advanced from strength to strength and now has a leading, perhaps the leading position in the world history of our time. Therefore, what is happening in the Soviet Union today is looked to with great interest by the rest of the world. And significantly, a good part of what is happening in the Soviet Union today, and what undoubtedly will be happening in the future, is bound up with the real Russia, with Orthodox Russia. The Orthodox revival in Russia today is closely bound up with the future of the Russian land. <clears throat> in 19th and 20th century, early 20th century Russia, there were many prophecies of spiritual men, not only concerning the coming of atheism and the revolution to Russia, and the epoch of blood and slavery, which this introduced into the world, but also what would happen to Russia after this epoch, if the Orthodox Russian people would repent of the sins which produced the revolution. This morning, therefore, I would like us to look at some of these prophecies and the way they are bound up with what is happening in Russia today. 
He will try to look not from the superficial point of view of the popular news magazine, but deeper, and try to see something of what is happening to the soul and heart of Russia, and what may be expected there according to these prophecies, and our knowledge of the more general prophecies concerning what is to happen before the end of the world. Immediately with the question arises, why should we talk about the end of the world? Are we really living in the last time? Why do we have to bind together the subject of the future of Russia and the end of the world? But it so happens that even secular writers nowadays speak of our times as being apocalyptic. And truly the problems that plague the world today, such as the exhaustion of resources and food, overpopulation, the literal monsters which have been created by modern technology, and especially the weapons which are capable of destroying entire countries, or even the whole civilized earth, all these point to the approach of a time of crisis in human history, which is quite beyond anything the world has ever seen, and perhaps points to the literal end of life upon earth. At the same time, Religious thinkers of various kinds point to a blossoming of non-Christian religious movements in our times and speak about the coming of a new age in which a new religious consciousness will dominate men's minds and put an end to the 2,000-year reign of Christianity. Astrologers talk about the Aquarian age, which they think is to begin around the year 2000. And the very approach of the year 2000 is enough to inspire in many minds the idea of a new epoch, somehow different from the rest of human history. Among many non-Orthodox Christians, these ideas take the form of a teaching, which is extremely important for us to understand in connection with the future of Russia, and it's called Chiliasm, the belief that Christ is soon to come to earth and reign right here with his saints before the end of the world. This teaching is a heresy which was condemned by the early church fathers and councils and has its origin in a misinterpretation of the book of Revelation, the Apocalypse. The Orthodox teaching is that the reign of Christ of his saints, when the devil is bound for a thousand years, as is described in the Apocalypse, chapter 20, verse 3, is the period we are now living in. The whole period, 1,000 being a symbolical number indicating wholeness, this whole period between the first and second coming of Christ. In this period, the saints do reign with Christ in his church. But this is a mystical reign, which is not to be defined in the outward political sense which is given to it by the Chiliad. The devil is truly bound in this period, that is, restricted, restricted in exercising his ill will against humanity. And believers who live the life of the church and receive the holy mysteries of Christ live in this period a blessed life, preparing them for eternal kingdom of heaven. The non-Orthodox who do not have holy mysteries and do not taste of the true life of the church cannot understand this mystical reign of Christ. And this is why they look for something outward. And so it is that the future of the world, in which Russia obviously will have a central place, is bound up with ideas that we can call apocalyptic, either with the literal end of the world in a physical sense, or the end of the civilized world as we know it, and the expectation of some entirely new, paradise-like reign. Some people have interpreted Russia's place in this new era in terms of the heresy of Chiliad. In fact, if we look at the teaching of communism, we see that it is exactly a teaching of Chiliad. We can see that it teaches that a new, totally new historical epoch begins with communism, that when communism finally dominates the world, there will be universal happiness and the liberation of mankind from everything that is bounded in the past, including religion. 
Today, after nearly 60, after over 60 years of the communist experiment in Russia and a shorter period in other nations, we can see how foolish is this belief underlying communism. The reality of communism is not paradise on earth, but what we call now gulag. Mankind has not been liberated at all, but enslaved worse than ever before. But Russia, the first country to experience the communist yoke, is also the first country to begin to wake up from and to survive it. Despite the continued reign of communist tyranny in Russia, atheism has not captured the soul of Russia. And the religious awakening that can be seen now in Russia is undoubtedly only the beginning of something quite immense and elemental, namely the recovery of the soul of a whole nation from the plague of atheism. This is the reason why Russia today can speak a word of significance to the whole world, which is plunging into the same trap of atheism from which Russia is emerging. And this is why the future of Russia is so closely bound up with the future of the whole world in a religious sense. Before turning specifically to the prophecies about Russia, I'd like to summarize briefly the general Orthodox teaching on what is to happen just before the end of the world. This will give us a background in which to place the prophecies regarding the future of Russia. The events before the end of the world are described in a number of places in Holy Scripture. The 24th chapter of Matthew and other similar chapters in the other Gospels, almost the whole book of the Apocalypse, especially from chapter 8 onward, the second chapter of 2 Thessalonians of St. Paul and St. Peter's second epistle, the third chapter, several chapters of the book of Daniel and many other passages. The Apocalypse describes the events before the end of the world in a series of visions. Some of these visions are bright and positive relating to the fulfillment of God's justice and the salvation of his chosen ones. And some are dark and negative, relating to the terrible plagues that will come on earth for the sins of mankind. Sometimes, in fact quite often, we tend to overemphasize the dark and negative side of this book because we see how much evil is increasing around us. But this comes from our faint-heartedness and worldliness. To get the whole picture of what is to happen at the end, we must bear in mind all the events that will happen, both the negative and the positive. At the time of, as the time of the end comes, it is true that there will be a time of tribulation, such as the world has never seen, as described in Matthew 24, 21st verse. There will be famine, plagues, earthquakes, wars, and rumors of wars, persecutions, false prophets, false Christ, and the love of many, including Christians, will grow cold. But at the same time, the gospel will be preached to all nations, and those who endure with the aid of Christ all the trials to come upon men at that time, will be saved. The evil and false religion in the world, which we see increasing about us today so much, will come to its peak in the reign of Antichrist, a world ruler who will seem to bring peace out of world disorder and will seem to be Christ come again to earth, reigning over the whole world from the restored temple in Jerusalem. But there will be those who see through the deception, and in particular two Old Testament prophets who never died, Elijah and Enoch, will return to earth, Elijah to convert the Jews and Enoch to preach to the other nations. The short reign of Antichrist, only three and one half years, will end in new disorders and wars, in the midst of which Christ himself will come from heaven, preceded by the sign of the cross, and this world will be consumed by fire and totally renewed, at the same time that the bodies of the dead will arise from the tombs and be rejoined to their souls in order to stand before the final judgment of God. <coughs> This, in a very brief scope, is the 
sort of things which one can expect to happen as the world actually comes to its end. And now about Russia. <clears throat> In 19th century Russia, a number of prophets, and even far-seeing laymen like Dostoevsky, foresaw the coming of the revolution, which would come upon Russia as a result of unbelief, worldliness, and a purely formal attitude to orthodoxy, devoid of the burning, self-sacrificing faith which orthodoxy demands. <clears throat> Some people saw this in general terms as a terrible disaster ready to overtake the Russian land, as did Bishop Theophan the Rector, when he looked at the lack of true Christian faith in so many people and cried out, in a hundred years, what will be left of our orthodoxy? Others saw more specifically the frightful revolution which would spread to the entire world. Thus, St. John of Kronstadt said in a sermon delivered in 1905, quote, Russia, if you fall away from your faith, as many of the intellectual class have already fallen away, you will no longer be Russia or holy Russia. And if there will be no repentance in the Russian people, then the end of the world is near. God will take away the pious czar and will send a whip in the person of impious, cruel, self-appointed rulers who will inundate the whole earth with blood and tears. End of quote. <clears throat> this is the state in which the world now finds itself, <clears throat> with nearly half of it drenched with blood and enduring the tyranny which began in 1917 with the Russian Revolution. We might ask the question, is there any hope for deliverance, or will atheism simply conquer the whole world? and set up the kingdom of Antichrist. We have good reason to doubt that future events will be as simple as this, both because the very country that began the reign of atheism, Russia, is now undergoing a religious awakening, which is already a hindrance to the spread of atheism, and also because Antichrist, according to Orthodox prophecy, will not be simply an atheist tyrant like Stalin, but a religious figure who will persuade rather than compel people to accept him. <coughs> The holy men who were alive in Russia at the beginning of the revolution were aware of the apocalyptic nature of this event, that is, that it is bound up somehow with the end of the world. And they knew that it would be a long and difficult trial for the Russian land. But they also foresaw that there would be an end to this trial. And here we can say the difference between our normal human wisdom and the inspired wisdom of these prophets. Because according to our human wisdom, things look bad, they're getting worse, and there seems to be no hope. According to those inspired by God, they saw, dependent, of course, upon man's repentance, that there would be something positive happening in Russia. <clears throat> the elder Alexis of the Thema Hermitage, who was the monk who drew the lot that elected Patriarch Chikon, heard people crying in church in the Chudov Monastery, where he was in the early months of the revolution. People were calling out, Our Russia is lost. Holy Russia is lost. To this he answered as follows. Who is it that is saying that Russia is lost, that she has perished? No, no, she has not lost. She has not perished and will not perish. But the Russian people must be purified of sin through great trials. One must pray and fervently repent. But Russia is not lost and she has not perished. This, of course, is a very general idea, opening up the idea of hope in the future of Russia, that there will be something after this communist tyranny. Tsar Anatole the Younger of Optimus, in the very first days of the revolution, in February 1917, made a more specific prophecy in the form of a vivid picture of the future of Russia. He said, quote, There will be a storm, and the Russian ship will be smashed to pieces. 
But people can be saved even on splinters and fragments. And not everyone will perish. One must pray. Everyone, everyone must repent and pray fervently. And what happens after a storm? There will be a calm. At this, everyone cried out, But there is no more ship. It is shattered to pieces. It is perished. Everything is perished. This, the elders said, it is not so. A great miracle of God will be manifested. And all the splinters and fragments by the will of God and his power will come together and be united. And the ship will be rebuilt in its beauty and will go on its own way as foreordained by God. And this will be a miracle evident to everyone. End of quote. Again, Elder Barnabas of Gethsemane Skeet spoke before the revolution of the disaster coming upon Russia and the cruel persecutions against the Orthodox faith. He said, as the revolution was breaking out, quote, persecutions against the faith will constantly increase. There will be an unheard of grief and darkness, and almost all the churches will be closed. But when it will seem to people that it is impossible to endure any longer, then deliverance will come. There will be a flowering. Churches will even begin to be built. But this will be a flowering before the end. Unquote. <clears throat> Timo Hiramog Aristocles, not long before his death in August 1918, said that now we are undergoing the times before Antichrist, but Russia will yet be delivered. There will be much suffering, much torture. The whole of Russia will become a prison, and one must greatly entreat the Lord for forgiveness. One must repent of one's sins and fear to do even the least sin, but strive to do good even the smallest. For even the wing of a fly has weight, and God's scales are exact. And when even the smallest of good in the cup overweighs, then will God reveal his mercy upon Russia. Ten days before the end of his life, he said that the end would come through China. There would be an extraordinary outburst, and a miracle of God will be manifested. And there will be an entirely different life, but all this will not be for long. St. John of Cornstead also said the deliverance from this terrible yoke of the 20th century would come through the East. Elder Nectarius of Austin in the 1920s prophesied, quote, Russia will arise, and materially it will not be wealthy, but in spirit it will be wealthy, and in Austin there will yet be seven luminaries, seven pillars. Abbot Theophano Poltava summed up in the 1930s the prophecies which he had received from such elders as these. He said the following, you ask me about the near future and about the last time. I do not speak on my own, but give the revelation of the elders. The coming of Antichrist draws near and is very near. The time separating us from him should be counted a matter of years, and at most a matter of some decades. But before the coming of Antichrist, Russia must yet be restored, to be sure for a short time. And in Russia there must be a czar foretrosen by the Lord himself. He will be a man of burning faith, great mind and iron will. This much has been revealed about him. We shall await the fulfillment of what has been revealed. Judging by many signs, it is drawing near. Unless because of our sins the Lord God shall revoke, shall alter what has been promised. According to the witness of the word of God, this also happens. <clears throat> End of quote. Thus we may see in the prophecies of these God-inspired men in the early part of this century a definite expectation of the restoration of Holy Russia and even the restoration of an orthodox czar, for a short time, not long before the coming of Antichrist and the end of the world. This is to be something miraculous and not an ordinary historical event. But at the same time, it is something that depends upon the Russian people themselves, 
because God always acts to the free will of men. Just as Nineveh was spared when the people repented and Jonah's prophecies proved false, so also the prophecies of the restoration of Russia will prove false if there is no repentance in the Russian people. Archbishop John Maximovich of Blessed Memory, whose tomb is in the cathedral of the city, reflected deeply on the meaning of the Russian Revolution and the exile of so many Russian people, a million or more people. In his report to the all Zyastras Sabor in Yugoslavia in 1938, he gave his reflections on this subject. He said, quote, The Russian people as a whole has performed great sins which are the cause of their present misfortunes. The specific sins are oath-breaking and regicide. The public and military leaders renounced their obedience and loyalty to the Tsar even before his abdication, forcing this latter from the Tsar, who did not desire bloodshed within the country. And the people openly and noisily greeted this deed, and nowhere did it loudly express its lack of agreement with it. Those guilty of the sin of regicide, killing of the Tsar, are not only those who physically performed it, but the whole people which rejoiced on the occasion of the overthrow of the Tsar and allowed his abasement, arrest, and exile, leaving him defenseless in the hands of the criminals, which fact in itself already predetermined the end. Thus the catastrophe of which has come upon Russia is the direct consequence of terrible sins, and the rebirth of Russia is possible only after cleansing from them. However, up to this time, 1938, there has been no genuine repentance. The crimes that have been performed have clearly not been condemned, and many active participants in the revolution continue even now to affirm that at that time it was not possible to act in any other way. In not expressing a direct condemnation of the February Revolution, the uprising against the anointed of God, the Russian people continue to participate in the sin, especially when they defend the fruits of the revolution. End of quote. Of course, regicide, the killing of the anointed Tsar, is not the only sin that lies upon the conscience of the Orthodox Russian people. This crime is, as it were, a symbol of the whole falling away of Russia from Christ and through Orthodoxy, a process that took up most of the 19th and early 20th centuries, and only now is perhaps beginning to be reversed. <clears throat> you read the works of Bishop Theophan the Reckless, then John of Kronstadt, Bishop Ignatius Lentininov, and other inspired men at that time, you will see that they are constantly talking about the falling away of the Russian people from Orthodox and the terrible results that will come because of that. It is most interesting that in Russia itself today, the question of the canonization of the Tsar, together with the other new martyrs, is bound up with the lifting of the literal curse which has lain upon the Russian land since his martyrdom. Father Gleb Yakunin, who is now suffering a cruel imprisonment precisely for making statements like this, has written a letter to the Orthodox Russians of the Diaspora, <coughs> signed also by several of his fellow strugglers. <coughs> This letter expresses the same ideas about the Tsar that Vladika John has expressed. At the end of this letter he writes, quote, The meaning for world history of the martyr's death of the imperial family, something that likens it to the most significant biblical event, consists of the fact that here the Constantinopolitan period of the existence of the Church of Christ comes to an end, and a new martyric apocalyptic age begins. It is begun with the voluntary sacrifice of the last anointed Orthodox emperor and his family. The tragedy of the imperial family has lain like a curse on the Russian land, having become the symbolic prologue of Russia's long path of the cross, the death of tens of millions of her sons and daughters. The canonization of the imperial martyrs will be for Russia the lifting from her of the sin of regicide. This will finally deliver her from the evil charms. End of quote. <laughs> 
It is, of course, too simple to say that the canonization of the new martyrs, including the imperial family, will bring about the restoration of Holy Russia. But if the Orthodox people, both in Russia and abroad, will receive this act with all their hearts and use it as an opportunity to repent deeply of their sins, there is no calculating the impact it might have upon Russia. One great prophecy of the future of Russia was known to only a few before the revolution. It was so daring that the church censor would not allow it to be printed. It was found in the same collection of the manuscripts of Mosavilus that gave to the world the famous conversation of St. Seraphim on the acquisition of the Holy Spirit. This prophecy, which has now appeared in several printings in the last decade, concerns the literal resurrection of St. Seraphim before the end of the world. This is what St. Seraphim told to Mosavilus. <coughs> Quote, Mosavilus begins, Many times I heard from the mouth of the great God-pleaser, the elder Father Seraphim, that he would not lie in sorrow with his flesh. And behold, once I, Mosavilus, dared to ask him, Watch, you deign to say all the time that with your flesh you will not lie in sorrow. Does that mean that the monks of sorrow will give you away? <coughs> and St. Seraphim replied, Your godliness, the Lord God, has ordained that I, humble Seraphim, should live considerably longer than a hundred years. But since for that time the bishops will become so impious that in their impiety they will surpass the Greek bishops at the time of Theodosius the Younger in the fifth century, so that they will no longer even believe in the chief dogma of the Christian faith, the resurrection. Therefore it has been pleasing to the Lord God to take me, humble seraphim, from this temporal life until the time, and then resurrect me. And my resurrection will be as the resurrection of the seven youths in the cave of Oklon in the days of Theodosius the Younger. That is, the seven sleepers of Ephesus who were walled up in the cave and after nearly 200 years were dug out and woke up. Having revealed to me this great and fearful mystery, the great elder informed me that after his resurrection he would go from Sarov to Gideva and there he would begin the preaching of worldwide repentance. For this preaching and above all because of the miracle of resurrection, a great multitude of people will assemble from all the ends of the earth. Gideva will become a lava. Vyachanova will become a city, and Arzamas a province. And preaching repentance in Dijevo, Vajrashtra Seraphim will uncover four relics in it, and after uncovering them, he himself will lie down in their midst. And then soon will come the end of everything. <clears throat> this prophecy was never printed in Russia, and yet it is known there today. In a letter from a priest published in the first issue of Nadezhda, a collection of materials from Russia, describing his visit to Sarov and Dijevo and his discovery there that Holy Russia was still alive and that some nuns from Dijevo were still living there. His monastery was closed in 1926 and the nuns remained in private houses, a few of them. He heard there the priest who was traveling to Dijevo heard the prophecy from an old woman, Yevdokia, who had just received Holy Communion from him. Addressing the priest, she said, Soon, soon, here in Dijevo, there will be a celebration. Now it is not years, not months, but days and hours that remain until the opening of the monastery and the manifestation of four relics, those of the saints, the foundress, Alexandra, Marchishka Martha, and blessed Yevdokeshka, who was tortured and killed by the atheists. The saint commands me, say to him and no one else, that soon, soon both the monastery and the relics will be opened. He commands to tell you that without fail you must come here for the opening of the church and the relics. End of quote. 
of the fact that Russia, Holy Russia, is still alive, despite the continued reign of atheism in Russia, we have the testimony now of many observers in Russia itself. Here is what one of them, Gennady Shimanov, said. <clears throat> Holy Russia cannot be buried. It cannot pass away. It is eternal and victorious. And it is precisely to it that the final word in the history of our people will belong. Holy Russia went away only from the surface of contemporary life, but it continues to live in its hidden depth, germinating until the time, so that in the time pleasing to God, having survived the winter, it will again break through to the surface and adorn the face of the Russian land, which has been so cruelly lashed by fiery and icy storms. This is the word of someone in Russia today who sees the awakening faith in Russia, who has hope that this will produce something great and positive in the future. And this testimony can be repeated many times by people in the Soviet Union and those who come from there. In the book which most thoroughly describes the events which are to occur at the end of the world, the Apocalypse of St. John the Theologian, at the opening of the seventh seal, which precedes the final plague to come upon mankind, it is said, quote, There was silence in heaven for the space of half an hour. Apocalypse chapter 8, verse 1. Some people have interpreted this to mean a short period of peace before the final events of world history, namely the short period of the restoration of Russia when the preaching of worldwide repentance will begin with Russia, the new ultimate word which even Dostoevsky hoped Russia would give to the world in his Pushkin speech. Under present world conditions, when the events of one country are known to the whole world almost instantly, and when Russia, cleansed by the blood of its martyrs, indeed has a better chance than any other country to awake from the sleep of atheism and unbelief, we can already conceive the possibility of such an event as Russia preaching repentance to the world. As Father Dmitri Dutko and others have said, it cannot be that the blood of Russia's innumerable martyrs will be in vain. Undoubtedly, it is the seed of the last great flowering of true Christianity. However, it is easy to become lost in dreams of the future of the world. We should be aware of what is to happen at the end of the world and of what may happen in Russia. But spiritual events, such as the restoration of Russia, do not happen automatically or by themselves. They depend upon each individual soul. This event will not happen without the participation of the Orthodox people, our repentance and struggle. And this involves not only the people of Russia itself, it involves also the whole of the Russian diaspora, and all the Orthodox people of the world. Archbishop John, in the same report to the Sabor of 1938, which I've already quoted, speaks of the apocalyptic mission of the Russian people outside of Russia. Quote, In chastising, the Lord at the same time also shows the Russian people the way to salvation by making it a preacher of orthodoxy in the whole world. The Russian diaspora has made all the ends of the world familiar with orthodoxy. The mass of Russian exiles, for the most part, is unconsciously a preacher of orthodoxy. To the Russians abroad, it has been granted to shine in the whole world with the light of orthodoxy, so that other people, seeing their good deeds, might glorify our Father who is in heaven, and thus obtain salvation for themselves. The diaspora will have to be converted to the path of repentance, and having acquired forgiveness for, for itself through prayer to God, and through being reborn spiritually, 
it will become capable also of giving rebirth to our suffering homeland. End of quote. Thus, the Russians abroad, by their living the true life of orthodoxy, should be already preparing the way for St. Clarison's preaching of worldwide repentance. To some extent, this is happening, and one can even begin to see, parallel to the orthodox revival in Russia, a genuine orthodox awakening in America and other lands outside of Russia. Particularly in the past few years, this has been, become quite noticeable. Searching people in America, simple Orthodox people, have been coming to the Orthodoxy, becoming baptized, and taking up the life of fervent Christianity. All of this depends upon each one of us. If we are awakening to true Orthodox life, then Holy Russia will be restored. If we are not awakening to Orthodox life and becoming reborn spiritually, then God can withdraw his promise. Archbishop John ended his report of the 1938 Sabor with a prophecy and a hope that there will be a true Pascha in Russia that will shine forth to the whole world before the very end of all things and the beginning of the universal kingdom of God. He spoke about this in the following words. Shake away the sleep of despondency and sloth, O sons of Russia. Behold the glory of her sufferings and be purified. Wash yourselves from your sins. Be strengthened in the orthodox faith so as to be worthy to dwell in the dwelling of the Lord and to settle in his holy mountain. Leap up, arise, O Russia, you who from the Lord's hands have drunk the cup of his wrath. When your suffering shall have ended, your righteousness shall go with you, and the glory of the Lord shall accompany you. The people shall come to your light and kings to the shining which shall rise upon you. Then lift up your eyes and see, Behold, your children come to you from the west and the north and the sea and the east, blessing in you, Christ, forever. Amen. 